This is Data Podcast. In the ever-changing world of data, this is the podcast packed full of information to keep you right on top of all the developments. From AWS and Azure, through to data science, big data, AI and NoSQL, and everything in between, we cover the essential updates from both a technical and non-technical perspective, including special guests and in-depth interviews. Now, please welcome your hosts, Rajiv Baha and Shabnam Khan, with today's episode of Data Podcast. Our guest today is data scientist Alison Cossett. She is a senior business and process improvement analyst for the Center for Healthcare Management at the University of Vermont Medical Center. Officially, Alison Cassett is a data analyst for the University of Vermont Medical Center. Unofficially, she says proudly, I am the resident data nerd. This is Rajib, and I am joined by my co-host and fellow data lady, Shabnam. Welcome, uh, Alison, to our podcast. It's uh, great to have you with us today. Thank you so much. In Twitter, your motto is, numbers are the best storytellers. Why do you say that? So my relationship with numbers and data is a, it's a long and twisted history. And <laughs> early before I was in data science, I always had an analytical approach to things. So I was always the one to audit whatever it was we were working on in a variety of my past lives. And what I always found really interesting is that when you got into the numbers, they had their own stories to tell. And they weren't always the stories we expected. One of the stories I like to tell is my husband and I do triathlons. And one day he came home and I downloaded the data out of his watch. And I looked at him and I said, really? He said, what? I'm like, really? He said, what? I said, why are you not shifting when you're on the hills? Mm -hmm. And he says, how do you know that? I was like, well, the elevation is going up, the RPMs are going down, and your heart rate is skyrocketing. Of course you're not shifting on the bike on the hills. Mm -hmm. And we just kind of laughed. And so it's, it's that kind of thing that I refer to when I say numbers are the best storytellers. One of the things I find really interesting about data science in general is we have this opportunity to create distinctions between our impressions of how things are and what is actually occurring. And sometimes they're in sync and sometimes they're not. And it's those unknown stories that live in the data that I find the most interesting and exciting about the field. As part of your training, uh, we saw in your bio that you also did training at the data science boot camp several years ago. Can you tell us a little bit about that and how is that, that how that experience compared to um, any on- online uh, learning platforms such as Coursera or Udemy or edX or anything of that sort? I've actually tackled data science from probably all of the ways that people take it on. So I'm currently a graduate student at Northwestern Online in Predictive Analytics. I attended the Metis Data Science Bootcamp in the summer of 2015, and prior to that had done a couple of the um, Coursera courses in data analysis, Python, some of their basic courses. Uh, Metis was probably the best thing I ever did in my life. It was the most challenging thing I ever did, (laughs) for sure. But I definitely feel as though without Metis, I would not be a data scientist. And I say that for a few reasons. One, the obvious. You are allowed to immerse 
and you run the entire spectrum of data science from ETL through data structure transformations through modeling, app building, and you do it all in a matter of three months. So it's 24 hours a day, it's delightful, it's vexing, it's all of those things. What I, what I would say to folks who are interested in learning more about data science and considering each of these methods, they all have their own merits. Obviously, the Coursera and the open source courses of any kind have easy access and flexibility, and you can gain quite a bit of information from them. With Metis, you get in, you learn how to model, you learn your Python, and you get out, and you hit the ground running. And with graduate school, you have the opportunity to dive deeper into each of the models and into those additional aspects. So for example, if you're working on a linear, you learn how to do a linear regression with scikit-learn at Metis, you understand some basics of the R squared. When you go to Northwestern, you spend an entire semester doing just linear regressions and working into the statistical inference and understanding impacts of coefficients and principal component analysis and factor analysis and, you know, more complex versions of those. So I think some of it depends on what your ultimate vision for yourself is, which of those makes the most sense for you, and sort of where you are in your life. What I appreciate most about data science courses and those different inroads is that whichever position you are in in your life, whatever your background is, there is a way and a method for you to get into this area and into data science. You know, several years ago when I participated in Science Museum uh, as part of mini analytics uh, organization effort to do a data science competition w with a mm -hmm. data set from Science Museum of Minnesota. Like around that time, you know, uh, when you hear like terms like uh, linear regression, logistics regression, I mean, it, it sounds like almost feverish, like, whoa, what is that? Uh, uh, what did you say? <laughs> uh, your eyes roll over. Yeah. And <laughs> and so uh, I, I'm sure, uh, you, um, I don't know if you had that moment uh, uh, when you're learning as a uh, newbie around that time or uh, when you come to those uh, two particular algorithms, like uh, let's say just for fun and humor, can you tell us like uh, how did you implement them uh, when you face those kind of challenges for the very first time, like, uh, or how did you tackle your first predictive analytics test? You hear terms such as linear regression, logistic regression, and it can definitely be scary at first. Data science can be very, the vernacular alone can be very intimidating. My very first linear regression was with, um, I was using different kinds of movie data, so gross sales and ticket sales and number of screens. It was uh, Box Office Mojo. That's what it was. We scraped Box Office Mojo, and we had to create a linear regression to predict how much a particular movie would make. Um, and it was fun for me. It was a little intimidating for sure. What I like about the scikit-learn approach or the stats models approach to regression is they keep it pretty simple. You can build some very simple linear regression models and get something that works. So I was excited by that. So I was like, wow, I can write not that much code and something comes out and it's meaningful. This is exciting to me. Um, so, you know, and the same with my first logistic regression 
it was a thyroid data set. And that's actually an interesting story. So the first time I did a logistic regression, it was with the UCI Davis data sets, which are great public, really clean data sets. If you're going to be practicing, check it out. The UCI data set were thyroid conditions. And I built this model, and it had a ridiculous R-squared, which means it was very accurate. And I said, wow, this is exciting. And then I realized that what I had actually done was build a logistic regression model, which is a classification model, that is basically the algorithm that physicians use to diagnose hypothyroidism. So I realized that while I had built this model that was very accurate, it wasn't particularly useful because all it was doing was mimicking the test standards that a doctor uses to actually perform the diagnostic procedure. So I was like, well, that's exciting but really unhelpful. So what do I do with that? And it was the first time I looked into um, breaking a model on purpose. So what I did was I went through and I took out all of the parameters that the physician would normally use as diagnostic criteria. So I took out all of the blood test results and used just the symptom results to predict whether or not someone had a thyroid condition. And what we found was that I, what I believe is we were able to have just enough inaccuracy that actually matched the inaccuracy of undiagnosed, so subclinical hypothyroidism. So I was kind of curious, is it possible that we have built a model that could be used in a clinical setting before blood work to predict the likelihood that someone will soon be diagnosed? It was a static data set. There was no temporal information. It was a UCI data set, so I couldn't prove the theory. But it presents you with some interesting things about modeling in general, that oftentimes people get very excited about how accurate their model is, but you always have to look at, is your model actually useful? Is it something that you would feel comfortable making a business decision based upon or not? And so there was another instance where um, I decided to change the why. So change your dependent variable and your independent variables and see can you predict something else within the same data set. So sometimes changing what you're solving for can be a really interesting way to play with data and learn about, say, a logistic regression or even a linear regression to start to understand how they work. So don't be afraid to break it. Right. Absolutely. That sound that was very insightful. What you have done, and it sure sounded like you enjoyed it a lot. Um, in you know tearing the layers apart and finding out uh, deeper into the core what's really lying in there. <laughs> so along the line yeah. of those technical um, aspects, I have these questions about uh, the programming languages. So uh, would you mind sharing um, what specific features or capabilities? Um, do you appreciate in R or Python languages? Is there any one that you would like to talk about or uh, both? Sure. Um, I work exclusively in Python, but I have used R in the past mostly for academic work. And I, I prefer Python personally for a couple of reasons. One is there's 
it's much better, I feel, for if you're working with larger data sets, uh, the way that it processes in memory is a little bit different. And so there's more flexibility. But additionally, I find ETL and data transformations to be more intuitive in Python. There's more flexibility. Uh, I would rather do I would rather do statistics in a programming language like Python than try to program in a statistical language like R. Obviously, it can be done. You have R in Shiny, but my personal preference is Python. I think it's a very intuitive language and it's pretty straightforward. I find the open source community to be very strong. Documentation is really great. None of us would survive without Stack Overflow. <laughs> so, <laughs> totally. um, yeah, I definitely, I'm definitely a Python gal by, by nature. Like whenever you need some sort of library, uh, if you try to uh, look up GitHub, I mean, you'd easily, easily find more libraries or packages for Python as opposed to uh, R. But uh, R does some sure. really cool stuff. So I agree, um, both has uh, merit in their own uh, realm. Um, Absolutely, yeah. graphics, especially any of your any of your statistical graphical outputs, are much faster and much prettier in R, with significantly less code than it takes to do make matplotlib pretty in Python. Right, mm -hmm. Seaborn helps, but only to a point. As we know, like uh, AI field keeps evolving. My question is like, uh, how do you define all the new branches that are coming out or that are already part of it? Like, let's say machine learning, deep learning, reinforced learning, and and so on. Uh, would you like to discuss a little bit about that? I honestly believe this is one of the most exciting times to be alive and to be witnessing this really important evolution that's happening. I personally feel it's very much akin to the Industrial Revolution. I'm a little bit older. I was born in the 70s. So I've seen us go from a time when nobody had email to now where machine learning is changing so many things about how we live. So this concept of self-driving cars, for example, or just algorithms in our lives in general, the Facebook feed, for example, or there's so many different ways that these choices are being made around us um, that are really exciting. And I work in healthcare, so I'm particularly impressed, excited, and inspired by the way machine learning is being utilized in medical settings. For example, um, there's a woman out of California, I believe it was Santa Barbara, and I can't remember her name now, but she did a really great research um, on using electronic health record data to and deep, deep learning on electronic health record data to predict um, a certain types of diagnoses. And one of the things that was really interesting with deep learning is you find sometimes there are novel variables that will come to the fore. So one of the things that came up was a slight increase in body temperature over time was a predictor of cardiovascular event onset. Now, again, the data tells a story. Historically, if it's within normal ranges, you wouldn't necessarily think that that small increase in body temperature was significant because it's all within the quote-unquote normal range. But what is possible now with deep learning, for example, is we can find these 
novel variables. And we can then use those as the basis for new research. And so the process itself becomes backpropagation in a way. So what we find in these novel variables sends us back to the drawing board in research and really can take us to exciting places that without these types of technologies, we probably never would have even unearthed that as a novel variable or novel indicator. Absolutely. I couldn't agree with you more, Allison, on, you know, how impressive this data science culture or this culture of data is, um, you know, bringing to our life and um, how more and more we are uh, being dependent on relying on data science community. So um, on that, um, uh, my question to you is, how do you build network in the data science community, um, let's say online or offline? I have to say Twitter has been an amazing way that I have connected with some really interesting people, you folks, by example. Um, I was applying to graduate school, and I hadn't done research before, and Stanford had an open, what they call a crowd research project that I happened on on Twitter and ended up being able to participate in the first publishing of a paper, an academic paper. I had never participated in something like that before. So that was super exciting. I have contacted a number of people. I've been able to participate in some medical debt conference think tanks because I reached out to someone and said, Jerry Ashton at RIP Medical Debt, and said, I love what you're doing. If you ever need data science help, let me know. And he said, actually, we just might. Why don't you come on down? So I would really encourage everyone to get connected and Follow the people that you're interested in and really reach out and ask. So, for example, recently there's a few women I have lunch with every Friday who are interested in data science where I live up in Vermont. And one of them really wanted to get a copy of SAS. And she was interested in learning more. And I said, well, you know, why don't you send out a tweet and see if anybody knows anybody and, you know, hashtag SAS and see what happens. And the next thing you know, she gets a note back that says, hey, we a woman from SAS says, hey, we actually have um, available to certain nonprofits and academic institutions free licenses. You just have to apply. Here's the link. And people are so accessible, right? With Twitter, if you say something that's highly relevant to what someone is talking about and you can connect with people really easily. My piece of advice for folks is pose a very specific question to someone or comment very specifically on the work that someone is doing that you really like and why it's meaningful to you. Right? I reached out to the medical debt folks because we had had an issue in my family with a long-term illness, and I was well aware of that financial impact. And so I was able to say, I've seen firsthand why what you're doing is so important, would love to help out. So, and people are responsive. People want to connect. So I would say tweet and follow and chat and meetups are amazing ways to meet people. If you're a little on the shy side, they can sometimes be intimidating, but just go. <laughs> um, obviously, use your LinkedIn, connect with people. Data scientists are, we're 
pretty, obviously, nerdy troop by lot. And so any chance we get to nerd out and somebody's equally excited about the same nerdy thing, you'll probably get a response pretty quickly, you know. So That's cool. I had a really great conversation one time with someone about dynamic time warping, and it was so wow. exciting. I was like, ooh. Wow. What's the uh, best uh, places in Twitter and LinkedIn where uh, uh, people can connect with you? You can find me on Twitter. I'm just Allison underscore Cosette on Twitter. I am on LinkedIn. Again, I think I'm the only Allison Cosette out there, so I'm usually pretty easy to find. Nice. The other thing is I am highly responsive. So if you have a question, if you want to talk about something, if you are interested in getting into data science and you don't know how, I will always respond as quickly as is reasonable, um, but I have been very fortunate that people in the community have been very supportive and open, and I am the same. So I definitely encourage anyone who's listening and has questions or wants to get involved or anything at all, just reach out. I will nerd out with anyone, anytime. <laughs> all right. That's an awesome spirit. Um, yeah. Those were... Um, our last questions. Um, is there any other topic do you have in mind, let's say, as it relates to trend uh, within the data science world? I mean, my other area of interest really is more around um, the ethics in data science and how being mindful of building ethical algorithms. What I found and I think people will kind of understand the concept because everyone knows that there's this echo chamber effect within your Facebook feed. The more you talk about something, the more it gets recommended to you, and the, the smaller our worlds get, ironically. Many recommender systems become so curated that we don't have the exploratory nature that we did when everyone was reading the newspaper and you turned the page and you didn't know what came next, right? So one of the things that I just sort of caution folks about is the, how curated is the data itself that you're looking at? How, what is the assumption that you're bringing to the data science problem? Is there an additional contextual data set that may bring a different shade to what you're looking at? There is a lot of assumption that goes into the variables that you choose to even be in your model. Right. Be mindful when you're building these models to or building these algorithms to really think through what are the assumptions that I don't even realize I'm making in building whatever it is. You know, one of the examples that came up was the sur the Uber surge pricing, and there was a there was a crisis, and obviously everybody needed an Uber because they needed to get out of the area, and surge pricing took effect and. You know, nobody had thought through that, right? And it's not that the algorithm itself was unethical, but we don't always realize the impact of the implementation of some of the algorithms that we build. And so I just encourage everyone to just be aware of what are any assumptions that you may be bringing at any given time to what it is that you're doing. Yeah, that was, I think that that's a great um, insight to have and great 
we look at um, you know the ethical the ethics that we practice in our day to day life, in our practice and in, in our professional world. And I think that you have uh, pointed out to something very crucial about um, that aspect of data sciences, because many of us we are not really paying attention to those nuances and um, of our practice. So um, I'm I'm glad that you know somebody is talking about that, and um, you know there will be results and it will impact in how um, it is evolving around and it is you know it is moving forward so um, good luck and I think that um, you are sure you're sure trying to approach that in your master's uh, thesis or presentation <laughs> so um, yeah we will be watching out to find out more about that great that's all we have for today great thank you for joining us and uh, uh, do you have any questions, Sarvam? Uh, no, I just want to thank um, Alison for uh, the wonderful spirit to share with us and everything that you have shared, Alison. Thank you so much. We learned a lot and we appreciate your time and the spirit. Oh, you are very, very welcome. I'm, like I said, I'll nerd out any time. <laughs> Sounds good. We hope you enjoyed listening to this episode of Data Podcast. You're welcome to follow our hosts on Twitter at Rajib2k5 at Shabnam Khan 2017 and on YouTube at youtube.com slash Rajib2k5. Our episodes are also available via iTunes, SoundCloud, Google and other podcasting platforms. Thank you for tuning in.